0: Good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to uh, great to have you here. I don't, is it still pretty cool out there? Is it still on the, on the chilly side or is it warming up? Okay, pretty It depends. Yeah, okay, good. You know, it's like last week, remember I announced it, it was like, oh, it's been so cold. And then I got told afterwards, it was like 100 degrees out there. And uh, I just got up early and it hadn't been outside to see it, but um, that's, that's great. I love it as the weather cools down and we move towards Christmas and uh, I don't know what you're planning for Christmas Eve. I know Trish told you all about it, but I'm just looking forward to that time. It's always one of my favorite services. Just a time to connect as a family, not only with our own families but just a church family. So I hope you can join us as we, before you kick off all the celebrations of families, to really focus in on uh, on the reason for Christmas. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, looking forward to that. But anyway, we're going to go into our time of teaching. So whether you're joining us here in the worship center or outside. Uh, just encourage you to reach inside your, your uh, program. There's a green and white message note sheet. We use it every week, but if you're new, you may not know that, and so you'll definitely want to pull that out. We'll be using it today. So uh, if, if you're all set, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Yes. Okay, let's pray. Well, Lord, we're just so excited to be here in your house, in your home, uh, underneath your leadership as a church, and just acknowledging you as our king, our leader, uh, and, and not only over our individual lives, but over our life as a church. And so, Lord, we come today, and we ask you to teach your church. You, you would you'd come to us as our teacher, your Holy Spirit, be opening our eyes to new truths or old truths that we've not yet fully understood, just who we are, what it means to follow you as we continue this journey together. We pray this in your name, and everyone said, amen. 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 Well, our story starts today on a Friday afternoon, and uh, the setting is a, a large warehouse in a major metropolitan city in the U.S. And he's worked there for about a year. He's a young man. He's in his uh, early 20s. And, uh, and, and though he's one of the youngest men uh, on the, the warehouse crew, um, and though most of the men are much older, that, that still, that he's, he's forged a pretty strong relationship with them this past year. And in particular... There's one man that's just real intriguing to him. It's, uh, he's a man who's come from a very tough background. He grew up in, in, in just a very hard, tough part of town. Um, and, and so very early on, he had to learn how to, to use his fists and whatever weapons to defend himself. So he's a real fighter. Um, and uh, he, he kind of looks like it. You know, he's sort of average height, uh, average build, but uh, part of his young 40s has uh, already starting to get a little bit gray, kind of that... Peppered black and, and gray kind of look going on, not only in his, his hair, but in his Fu Manchu mustache. And uh, so, t- still to this day, when he, he comes to the warehouse every day, most days he's wearing a, a fairly sizable knife in his belt. Um, he, he's, he looks like a man you don't want not to be trifled with. And yet, though these two, this younger man and this older man, they've come from such so different backgrounds that they've, they've always gotten along pretty well. Um, until this day, um, until this Friday, um, until 4.15 in the afternoon, 15 minutes before closing time, and that's when it happened. Well, today, we're going to continue our series that we've been in since the first of last year, really pretty much all year, that's called Signs, and for those who are brand new, a special welcome to you. Uh, But also just a quick uh, recap. This whole series is an in-depth study of the life and teaching of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers and friends, a man we call John or the Apostle John. And uh, if you've been with us maybe the last five or six weeks, we've entered into the second major sub-series in the Gospel of John that's called Signs of Path Forward. And this entire series takes place on this last night that Jesus is with his men, the night of the Passover, uh, the night that later he's going to be arrested and then uh, the following day executed. Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, Jesus has just finished his teaching, a very famous teaching, um, about vine and branches. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And and now he's going to go in these shift gears and, and begin teaching not so much about our vertical relationship with him as the vine where the branches in, not so much our horizontal relationship, how we're to love one another, but he's gonna be focusing in um, on our relationship with the outside world. And as we as we follow Jesus, what's our relationship with the outside world? Those who have not yet come to Christ, what's that to be like? And so, uh, if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, I encourage you to open up and turn to John chapter 15. We'll pick it up at verse 17 where we left off last week. And there in your note sheet, you have a section called um, The World, the Warning. So before we jump in, let's set the stage. So, like I said, Jesus has just been saying, I'm the vine, like the grapevine. You're the branches. And as I leave, the key to your future, the key to your fruitfulness is to stay connected to me in the same way that a branch is connected to the vine. And if you do that, you will be fruitful. Uh, You will make an impact. Your lives will be transformed. And he says that the, the key to staying connected to me is to to obey my teaching, to listen and follow what I've taught you. And especially my top priority command is you love one another as I've loved you. And so the, the very last verse we looked at last week was verse 17, where he wraps this up and he says, this is my command, love each other. Right? So today now he's, he's going to begin to shift, again, from this vertical relationship between us and Jesus, this horizontal relationship between us and one another uh, that are so connected. And he's going to move to our relationship with the outside world. So he says in verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And so he says, so as you go out into the world to share the message of my life, my death, my resurrection, this new life that that you've been called to, he says, don't be surprised uh, if the world hates you. He said, now, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, but as it is, you do not belong to the world But I have chosen you out of the world, and that's why the world hates you. All right, so as you go out, don't be surprised if you get what I'm calling pushback, hostility, persecution. Um, And he said, when it happens, um, don't be surprised. It's happened to me. It's going to happen to you. And he says, um, remember, verse 20, uh, remember what I told you, that a servant is not greater than his master. Uh, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So back in chapter 13, Jesus earlier this evening had quoted the same proverb about the servant not being greater than the master, and he'd applied it to the way they serve one another. If I'm not too good to wash your feet, you should be able to wash each other's feet. But now he's going to apply it uh, to uh, persecution. And so he says, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. And if they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey you also. So they'll basically, as you go out, people are going to respond to you as they respond to me. And he said, they'll, they'll treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Now, catch this. This is really interesting because in the original context, as Jesus is talking to his disciples the world they're going out to is the Jewish world, all right? So, so they're Jews. After his death and resurrection, they're going to go out into the Jewish world. It will be their first assignment to share the message and movement of Jesus. Um, and, he, and he says that, um, but you're not going to be accepted. Many times you're going to be rejected. Um, and, and, and the reason is they don't know me. They don't know God. Now, this is really interesting because, of course, These are Jews that, especially as Jewish leaders, that are experts in the word of God, right? They know the Torah like the back of their hands, and yet Jesus says, yeah, but they don't know me. They don't really know the true God. And I think this is important for us because, you know, again, we live in a culture today that all paths lead to the same place. But what I want you to catch is Jesus, even the Jews who have the scripture that path wasn't leading to the right place, right? That, that, uh, that, it, that we have to recognize who the father is through the son. And so, so then he goes on and he says, uh, they'll treat you, verse 21, they're going to treat you uh, this way because they have not known my name, it was my character, for they do not know the one who sent me. He said, now, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, Not that they wouldn't have any guilt for any sin, but they wouldn't be guilty of the sin of rejecting the Messiah. He says, but now they have no excuse for their sin, and he'll come back to that in a minute. Now he says, whoever hates me hates my father as well. And this is something we've seen Jesus say over and over in this gospel, that that whatever he teaches, whatever he does, whatever miracles he performs, he's only doing what the Father has shown him. So if you reject his teaching, you reject him, you're in essence rejecting the one who sent him, the Father. you know, the Father. And so he, he says this basically, he's just saying that in a different way. Um, he says that, uh, as it is they've seen, they've hated both me and the Father. Um and he says in verse 25, and this, is, this was not unforeseen. The Old Testament saw this, it was prophesied. This, this rejection of Messiah fulfills what is written in their law, that they hated me without reason, which is a quote from a messianic psalm, Psalm 69, verse 4. Now, Jesus is going to pivot, and we're going to move off of persecution for a moment, And he wants to talk about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role, not just in leading and guiding us, empowering us as believers, but the Holy Spirit's role in revealing Jesus to the outside world. So he says, when the advocate comes, so remember back in chapter 14, starting at verse 15, Jesus had promised that when he left, he would send another advocate, another replacement to lead and teach and guide us. Um, and so he, he refers to that language. Remember this word for advocate is that Greek word parakletos, one who's called alongside. So when the advocate comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who, come, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So they'll go out to testify about Jesus, but they'll not go alone. The Holy Spirit will go with them. And he says, you also must testify because you have been with me from the beginning. So quick sidebar, Um, in the the book of Acts, after uh, Jesus leaves, but before the Holy Spirit comes in chapter 1, the disciples uh, feel like they need to find a replacement for Judas because he's killed himself, and one of their requirements is it has to be a disciple who's been with us from the beginning, from the baptism of John the Baptist. And this is what Jesus is saying. He said that you, you need to be my uh, testify because you've been with me from the very beginning. Now, we come to a new chapter. What chapter are we going into? 16. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. So, we're <laughs> uh, now, uh, as we go into chapter 16, I want to do a quick sidebar here on this. Remember that when the Bible was written, there were no uh, chapter or verse divisions. Those were, those were added much later, and, and I'm so thankful that we have them, because you, could you imagine as we started today, hey, turn in your Bibles to, uh, to find the, the Gospel of John and find that place, you know, where Jesus said, uh, love one another. I mean, we'd be here all day, right? And God help us if I was teaching in Habakkuk, like we would never find our way home. Uh, So I'm really thankful for these verse and chapter dividers, but I want to point out that sometimes these chapter divisions come in really awkward spots. Because sometimes uh, when you see a new chapter division, you, you naturally think, oh, we're changing topics. You know, like when you're studying the Bible on your own, you probably read a chapter a day or whatever, you stop there. But the reality is sometimes these chapter divisions come in super awkward spots, and this is one of those times. Because Jesus is not changing the topic. He's just been talking about persecution, pushback. If the world hates you, he's continuing that topic. So he goes on and he said, now, all this I have told you, all what? About the world hating you, about the Holy Spirit come to testify with you. All this I have told you, so you will not what? Fall away. away. I want you to underline that, all right? You will not... Jesus says, hey, the reason I'm telling you about this hostility, about this pushback, about this persecution, about this hatred, is that so when it happens, you don't leave me, you don't do what Judas did, uh, that you don't stop following me. So let's talk about this for a second. Uh, We've talked about this often in this series, but it's very important we see this passage in its context, its historical context. So, So what we know is the disciples have come to Jerusalem this last week of their life with high hopes and great expectations. As I've said many times, they seem to believe that they're on the verge of the coming of the kingdom of God in power. They seem to believe that Jesus is about to take his supernatural power that calmed the storm, that called Lazarus from the dead, and turn it on Rome and bring in the long-promised kingdom of God. And what that will mean for them is that when when that happens, all Israel will recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and they'll come to him, and they'll follow him, and and Jesus will be super popular, and as his disciples, his top leaders, they'll be super super popular. I mean, this is why they're fighting over who's the greatest. This is why they're fighting over who gets to sit on your right hand and your left in your kingdom, right? They think they're on the verge of this, and so they're picturing a future in the very near future of popularity, of fame, of prosperity, of peace, uh, of uh, a lot of perks, a lot of possessions. That this is what they're picturing, and Jesus is that it's not how it's going to be. Uh, that, that I'm leaving and the situation is about to change. And it's going to get really hard. Will you experience joy? Yes. Will you experience my peace? Yes. Will you bear much fruit? Yes. Will the Holy Spirit come? Yes. But it's not going to be easy that the world is going to push back. They're not going to be excited about your message about the Messiah. They're going to push back. And he said, I'm telling you now because if you don't switch your paradigm, when it happens, you're going to be extremely vulnerable of falling away. It, like It's going to be so different than what you think is going to happen when Messiah comes that it's going to put you in great danger. And so I'm telling you now so that when it happens, instead of undermining your faith in me, it actually builds confidence because this is exactly what I predicted. And so he says, all this I've told you so that you will not fall away. He says, well, here's what's going to happen. And he starts getting very specific. He says, they will put you out of the synagogue. Now, remember, in their Jewish context, the synagogue was not just where they went to church. The synagogue was their center of social life. It's where your kids went to school. It's where community meetings happened. To be put out of the synagogue essentially means to be excommunicated out of your community. I don't know if you remember this, but back in John chapter nine, after Jesus healed the man who'd been born blind, do you remember that, that he was called before the Pharisees to give testimony and they called in his parents, is this your son? How did he get well? And they, they didn't want to tell the story because they were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. And so this is a very, so Jesus says, it's gonna to get tough, he says, that they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, I mean, it's gonna get worse, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering service to God. And this actually happened in the early church. Like if you're familiar with the book of Acts, when the, when the, when the movement of Jesus gets started, that the biggest uh, kind of enemies of the early church were the religious leaders of the Jewish community. And you remember one of those leaders was, was the man who became the apostle Paul. Then before he was Paul, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And in chapter 8, we're told he's going house to house in Jerusalem, looking for followers of Jesus, taking them out, beating them, causing them, try to force them to blaspheme. And then when they were brought up on charges of blasphemy, voting for their execution. Why? All in the name of God. And so Jesus says, hey, it's not the future. It's not going to be like you think it's going to be. Let me tell you what's coming. And he says in verse 3, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. And he said, I've told you this so that when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them he said, I didn't tell you about this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. So Jesus said, hey, I didn't tell you about what's coming because um, you, didn't, you didn't need to know, sort of a need-to-know basis. Um, yeah, I was with you. I could take the abuse. I could, the, the, the criticism was coming at me. The danger was coming at me, but, but now that I'm leaving... Uh, you're going to be leading the movement. It's coming your way. And you need to know what's coming so that when it comes, it doesn't surprise you. It doesn't shock you. Your paradigm's big enough for it. You understand it. And, and so you're not derailed spiritually and you don't fall away. All right? So that's the passage. Now, what I want to do in the time that we have together today is I want to highlight a couple of principles that are so important for us to understand about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, especially at this moment in our cultural kind of milieu. Uh, and, uh, and then come back at the end and ask a couple of questions about um, how we're responding To these principles that Jesus is teaching us today. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called The World, Uh, The Challenge. So Jesus, in this passage, is really challenging his disciples in a couple ways. And so I want to highlight that. Uh, The first challenge that he gives is he talks to his men. He says, you need to expect pushback. Okay, expect pushback. So I'm using pushback to describe uh, kind of a rejection, a hostility, even a persecution. Jesus says, as you go out in the world, as I'm leaving, as you share the message, my message, he says that that you need to expect uh, pushback. And he says that, that as followers, for us as followers of Jesus say, he says that that as you go out, as you abide in me, as I abide in you, as you bear fruit, as as you experience my transformation in your life, as I impact the world through you, and you're bearing great fruit, you need to understand that will not always be welcomed. And what Jesus is saying is that, in fact, you need to understand this and have this be part of your paradigm, because if you don't, when it comes, it could derail you spiritually. And I think this is so important for us to understand at, at this moment in our cultural uh, kind of, where we are as a culture, as a nation. Because, um, because as we've talked about often this fall, that, that we're going through a shift, a rapid shift in our culture right now. And as you've probably noticed, it's becoming more and more unpopular to be a follower of Jesus. Our culture is becoming increasingly anti-Jesus, anti, uh, uh, kind of, uh, anti-biblical truth. And so as a result, it's, it's extremely important that we uh, listen to what Jesus is telling us, say, hey, when this happens, this is normal. Um, Earlier this year, in fact, it was just a couple of months ago, I, I read a book that I would uh, highly recommend. It's, I, don't, I don't agree with everything like you seldom do in any book, but highly recommend. It was a book called Live No Lies. And it's, it's written by a pastor who's uh, ministering in Portland, which, of course, is one of the kind of progressive centers in our country. And, uh, and so so in this, this, this book, it's really a book about spiritual warfare, but um, especially spiritual warfare in the realm of ideas, which is, as I've told you before is the highest level of spiritual warfare, um, and, and especially in light of these rapid changes that are happening in our culture. And so uh, what he says in there is that, you know, that that the, more, that the more our culture changes, the more it becomes anti-Jesus, kind of the more pressure is on us to capitulate to that. You know, it's like, hey, can so many people be wrong, right? That, that kind of thought. And, and he has this great quote, and, and again, this is a brand new book uh, written for this time that we're in. And he says, he, in this quote, he says, every day can feel like a war on our souls, can anyone relate to that? Like right now, it's like like, like wherever you turn, there, there's sort of a, it feels like an assault. It says every day can feel like a war on our souls. It's a spiritual assault on our faith, a fight just to stay saved. Or as Jesus says, that you would not fall away. Right. And he says, or at least to stay orthodox, to stay uh to, to stay faithful to Jesus, to stay sane, much less to be happy and at peace. And then he says, when you're a cognitive minority, and what he means by that is when you're an ideological minority, when your worldview as a follower of Jesus is becoming more and more of a minority worldview, he says, and you're under constant pressure to assimilate, to capitulate to that culture. He says, you can't help but think, am I crazy to believe what I believe? To live how I live? And I don't know about you, but I've, I've felt this myself. It's like, we, we are social creatures, aren't we? We're impacted by what is around us. And so, the, the more our world goes kind of crazy, right, the more you begin to wonder, am I sane? Like, like this is crazy, what was what, being proposed is crazy, but everyone seems to be drinking the Kool-Aid. And so is it, maybe it's just me, right? And, and what Jesus is saying is that, hey, as you go out into culture, this should not surprise you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. This is what you should expect. Expect pushback, all right? And, and so, and when it comes, he says, and if you understand this, when it comes, rather than shaking your confidence in me, it will confirm your confidence, because what's happening is exactly what I said was going to happen, Amen. right? Okay, number two. The second principle, and we'll spend longer on this one, the second challenge is to embrace pushback. Jesus says, not only should we expect it, we need to embrace it, and, and, uh, To embrace it, we need to understand what's happening. And so what Jesus says more than once in this passage is that when the culture rejects you, you need to understand it's not so much rejecting you, it's rejecting me. Like you shouldn't take this personally. Like it's not, they're not really rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So this is what he says there in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Like you're on the winning team. (laughs) Like you're in good company. And he says, here's why they hate you. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. If you were part of this world, you shared its mindset, its worldview, its values, its lifestyle, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. Do you remember at the end of the passage last week, Jesus said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. You go and bear fruit. It was like fifteen, sixteen. And so here he says, as it is, you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Why does the world hate you? Because I've chosen you out of the world. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, the Bible is very clear. We've seen it over and over in the Gospel of John that when a man or woman comes to faith in Jesus, something supernatural happens to them. This is not just a, a slight change of mind that, that the, what the Bible says over and over when we come to faith in Jesus, we give our lives to Jesus, that something happens to us. It's deep. It's profound. It goes to the core of our being, and it's truly supernatural. Amen. And that's what Jesus meant in John 3 when he said that you have to be born again from above. Like something happens. But what happens is, is when Jesus chooses someone and we come to Christ, that we receive the gift of his spirit that brings with it, catches the DNA of Jesus. In fact, in 1 John, John says that we are born again by the seed of God, like by the sperm of God. And so we receive this DNA of Jesus. And when that happens, we change. Our perspective on life changes. Our values change. Our behavior begins to change. Like we begin to change because we've been chosen out of the world. And as we're chosen out of the world, the more we follow Jesus, the more we're transformed to be like Jesus. And catch us: the more we're like Jesus, the more the world will hate us. You see? And so, Jesus, you need to understand this, that when you go out there and you share this amazing news, you think people are going to be excited. The reality is they're often going to hate you, but it's not because of you, it's because of me. It's interesting, earlier in the Gospel of John, John explained how this works. So, I don't know if you remember, but back in chapter 3, we talked about this conversation Jesus had with this religious leader, Nicodemus, so you have to be born again to be part of the kingdom. And after that conversation ends about verse 15, it seems like John the Apostle begins to comment on this conversation, and he, he says, this is why uh, Jesus came into the world. The famous verse, John three sixteen. this is why, uh, why Jesus came in the world, that, that God loved the world, this fallen world we're talking about. He loved the world so much that he gave his son so that anyone who would believe in him, trust in him, listen, follow him, um, that they, they would receive this gift of, of new life, this life with a capital L, this eternal life, this life that starts now and goes on forever, right? And, and John says, and you'd think that, you know, you would think that people would respond to that. You'd think that people are like, yes. And he says, you know, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came to save the world. So you'd expect the world to respond, yes. But what he says is that when the light of the world came, that a couple things happened. The first thing that happened is it showed the path to life. But the second thing it did is it revealed our darkness. And so in order to receive the life, we have to leave the darkness and follow the light. And he said, many people are not willing to do that because they wanna hold on to their evil deeds. And this is what he says. He says there on your note sheet, uh, John three says, this is the verdict. So remember, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, he came to save it. But if we reject him, we are condemned. And he says, this is the verdict that will be read as a sentence that light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So what Jesus is saying here is that when you go out in the world, you need to expect pushback and you need to embrace it. You need to understand why it's happening. The reason it's happening is that, that as my followers, you're bringing the light of life into the world. And for some, they'll welcome that and come into the light. But for others, they're going to they're gonna hate the light because the light is revealing the truth that they are desperately trying to ignore. You know, today we started the day with this story of this young man who's working in a medical warehouse, and uh, this youngest guy there, uh, all these older uh, workers, but he's gotten along pretty well, especially with this one kind of tough guy uh, in his, his young 40s. You know, his name was happened to be Mike, you know, we, the Fu Manchu guy, um, and uh, And so this is actually a true story. Uh, It's from my life, although I'm not the Mike character. (laughs) I'm the young man character. Um, And so when I was 20, Lynn and I had been married less than a year, and, uh, and so I dropped out of college to put her through the nursing program at Biola University. And so I needed to get a job to support us, and so I ended up taking a job as a forklift operator at a major, a major kind of international medical supply warehouse. And, and so I was working in Santa Fe, Santa Fe Springs. And so I'd been working there about a year. I really liked the job. I spent most of the day on a kind of a stand-up uh, forklift that would uh, kind of filling orders, pallets, and so on for huge orders for hospitals and things like that. And I really, really enjoyed it. And so I was a believer. In fact, I was a little bit of a, I would say, kind of a Jesus freak. Um, and, and so I was, I was a believer, everyone knew I was a believer there, but, uh, but most of the guys, you know, were, were not, I mean, most of the guys were not, most of them were older, and uh, pretty much their three great loves in life were um, hockey, um, due to the violence, um, it wasn't really about the game or the score, it was about the fights, uh, so hockey, uh, women, and uh, drinking, now this is a big thing, big three, but in spite of this, you know, that we actually got along pretty well, um, and so there's this one particular guy I described him, this guy named Mike, you know, and he's just, he was fascinating to me. He was just, he was such an interesting guy. He was such a tough guy, kind of a violent guy, um, but on the other hand, he was, he was just really smart, he was bright, he was articulate, he was witty, Um, And and so after high school, he had actually got in the Navy for a stint and he had traveled the world and that had opened up his horizons and he'd become a reader and a thinker. So he's just a really interesting mix of a guy. He was kind of one of my favorite guys there. And we typically got along pretty well, right? So on this particular day, it's a Friday afternoon and I'm driving my lift truck down the aisle, 15 minutes from, from quitting time. And so you have to picture this. This is one of those lift trucks uh, that you you don't sit down on this forklift. You stand up. You you may have seen them like at Costco or something. You stand up. Uh, the forks are in front of you. They go super high, um, and, uh, and and so you you enter it from behind. There's no like belt here or anything. So there's just you know, you're just standing on this thing driving. And when you drive them at speed you're going fast, you actually drive them backwards. So the forks are coming behind you. And so I'm, I'm you know, speeding down this long aisle uh, and Mike's coming this way, you know, on his. And so he's driving backwards like normal as well. So we stop to chat and we stop, and we're, we're like literally two feet from where I could reach out and touch him. We're just You know, there's nothing between us like this. And so I just innocently ask him, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And he came unglued. His eyes lit up. They got like dark and deep, like fire coming up. And his whole face contorted and his body just was full of this anger and bitterness and rage. And I'm thinking, he's coming into my truck, right? Like, I'm thinking, where's the knife, you know? And he starts screaming at me, just vile language. I remember that F word being the most frequent word, like in the steel. And basically, what he's telling me is that this weekend, he's going to cheat on his wife, but he, he doesn't really say it. He, he says it in the most graphic way possible that I'm going to have sex with a woman, not my wife. And you can kind of fill in the blanks. And, and he's screaming this at me. And then he says, this last thing is, what are you going to do about it? I'm like deer in the headlights. Where's the knife? Where's the knife, you know? And I seriously thought he might come d- physically attack me. Um, and I don't remember a lot how that ended, um, except that he didn't kill me. Like, I, <laughs> I'm here. Um, but somehow we parted, awkwardly, like, okay, well, have a good day, <laughs> whatever. You know? And, uh, and I, next week, I think it was all back to normal. It was like it never happened again. And you're like, what's going on there? What? You know, like, I didn't say anything. Of that. You know, earlier we talked about this, that uh, when people give us pushback, it's not about us, it's about Jesus, right? But, but there are times it is about us, right? It's possible for us to be a jerk for Jesus, right? right. Like, it's like, sometimes the world hates us because... Were self-righteous. And, and they're not rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting us. And, and sometimes they, they hate us because of hypocrisy. And when that happens, it's not about Jesus, it's about us. And sometimes they, they hate us because we're responding to their hatred in kind. And we're using the same weapons of the enemy, hatred, deceit, anger, attack because we think we're fighting for the right cause. And so we, we, we kind of, we deserve what we get. But, but this is not one of those times. There's nothing that I would said either before that or that was like judgmental or hypocritical. It wasn't about that. I think what was happening was that, that all day long, he's probably been bragging to his friends about what he's gonna do this weekend, and what he's gonna get, and they've all been celebrating this evil in the darkness. And what happened is when I asked him what he was gonna do, it was just the fact that I was a follower of Jesus. It it was the light of my life that was exposing the darkness of his deeds. And his response was to hate me and do whatever he could to shut down the light so he could stay in the darkness. Are, are you with me? Yes. And so, so Jesus says, hey, as you follow me, I, you, you need to understand this. So not everyone is going to be excited about the message. You need to expect pushback. And you need to even embrace it because you need to understand what they're rejecting not so much you it's rejecting me and the very fact that they're rejecting you is a reminder to you that you are on the right path okay okay so that leads to a couple important questions so there in your note sheet you have a section called pushback two key questions And so as we reflect on these challenges Jesus gives us to to expect, expect pushback and even embrace it, the first question is, does your paradigm include persecution? As you think of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, does your paradigm of what it means to be a Christ follower, does that include persecution? So what we've seen today is that for Jesus' disciples, for his men, that persecution wasn't part of their paradigm. Uh, these were brave men. These, these were men who were willing to go to war for Jesus. Do you remember how uh, Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane pulled out the sword and tried to cut the guy down the middle? He just missed and he hit his ear, right? Obviously, you know, what do you expect from a fisherman? But Peter was willing to go, he was, remember what he said? I, I will die for you. And he meant it. Do you remember what Thomas said back when the Lazarus event? When, when Jesus, let's go back, our friend Lazarus, back in chapter 11. Lazarus is, is, hey, if Lazarus is sleeping, he'll wake up. I mean, they're trying to kill us back there. Do you remember that? And do you remember after Thomas realized he's losing the debate? Remember what he said to Jesus? He said, let's go die to, with him. These were brave men. They they expected Jesus to lead them in war with Rome, and they were willing to put their lives on the line in battle with him, but they expected that he was going to win and they were going to have power and popularity. That was their expectation. And, And so Jesus needed to reorient their paradigm of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and what to expect. And so the question is, do you need to reorient your paradigm? When you think of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is persecution, is pushback, hostility, is that a part of your paradigm? And Jesus says it's very important, it is, because if it it isn't, when the pushback comes, you're in spiritual danger. You're in spiritual danger of thinking, I'm on the wrong path. Maybe I don't believe the right thing. You're in the danger of ditching Jesus and going a different way. Your soul's in peril. So Jesus said, this is important you understand that. So the question is, do you, does your paradigm include persecution? See, the reality is, if you and I lived in Saudi Arabia today, If you and I had grown up in Indonesia, if we were gonna come to Christ in Pakistan or India, if you were to live in most parts of the Middle East, some parts of South America, many parts of Africa, if you were to come to Jesus in those parts of the world today, I would not need to ask you this question. I would not, hey, like, uh, is, Persecution, part of your paradigm, your answer is be like, is the Pope Catholic? Like, of course it's part. Like, everyone knows this here. If you give your life to Jesus and you're baptized publicly, like, everyone knows this, that, that you may lose your career. You, you may not be hired. You may lose your family. You may lose your community. You may be beaten or imprisoned. You may be, lose your life, like everyone knows that. You, we would not need to be asking this question. But you and I have had the privilege of growing up in this land for most of us. Some of you have come from other places and you see so much more clearly. But for most of us, we've grown up here in this land and we have been blessed to grow up in a country with a strong Judeo-Christian basis. And because of that, we have enshrined in our Constitution and Bill of Rights some basic human rights like freedom of religion, like freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, right? And so so what happens is that, so for many of us, probably most of us, we've not had to deal with major pushback, not that there's not some, but we haven't. And we haven't dealt with major pushback. Chances are we haven't lost our career or been unhirable or uh, we haven't been thrown in prison. We haven't been canceled you know, yet. Uh, you know, that we may have not experienced significant pushback. But men and women, things are changing. And they're changing rapidly. And so this is very important time for you and I as followers of Jesus to listen to what Jesus said. And you know what's interesting? Because you and I, for the most of us who've grown up in this country, it's almost like we we tend to skip over the passages in the Bible about persecution. And not like intentionally, it's almost like we have these filters on, the no persecution filters, and we read it, and we just go on. And so every time it talks about suffering, we interpret it in terms of hard times. Right. We, we, we interpret it in terms of having cancer or being in an accident. There's nothing wrong with that, except that that's not originally what it was referring to. Right? And what you see, if you, put on, if you put on the persecution glasses, I'm telling you, it's almost every book in the New Testament almost every book and almost on every page that this is the paradigm of Jesus. It's a paradigm in the New Testament that, that if you follow me, I've come to give you life and life to the full. Yes, I've come that you might have my joy. and Your joy might be complete. Yes, I've come that you might know my peace even the hardest of times. Yes, I've come that you might bear fruit and live the life you create. Yes, but along with that, comes persecution, right? Right? And so the first question is, does your paradigm include persecution? And if it doesn't, we need to start asking the Holy Spirit to help change that paradigm. Uh, And then the second question is, are you counting the cost? Once our paradigm shifts, then this will, by necessity, force us to start to count the cost of following Jesus. So uh, earlier in his ministry, Jesus was once talking to the crowd, and he said, let me tell you uh, what it requires to be my disciple. And he says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be my disciple. He says, you need to love me more than anything else, more than anyone else. So he says that you need to love me more than your parents more than your spouse, more than your kids, more than your siblings, your brother and sister. And then he wrapped up that little teaching by, with this verse on Luke 14, 27. In fact, he says, whoever does not carry their cross, of course, it's an instrument of death, and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, notice he says cannot be. He doesn't say will not. He doesn't say I won't let you be. What he says is that, that you, you won't be able to. And so what Jesus says is, if you're going to follow me, I have to be your top love. You have to be, to, to be more committed with me than any other human relationship and, and even be willing to give up your life. This is what it's going to require of you. And so after he gives that really hard teaching, right, he says, so it's kind of like this. Once upon a time, there was a man who was going to build a tower. And then he says, now, I want you to think about this. If, you build, if you're gonna build this large building, a large tower, he says, wouldn't it be wise to sit down and think through how much it's going to cost? And then you, you, you figure that out and then you see how much you have and you don't start building until you have the resources to build the tower. He said, otherwise, you're gonna get halfway done and uh, you're gonna run out of money and this tower is gonna to become like a memorial to your stupidity. Like, everyone who walks by is like, who's the idiot who started building and didn't count the cost and didn't figure out how much it was going to cost before they started building? Like, who would do that? And everyone's going to go by and just laugh and say, how ridiculous that anyone would start a project and not do the math. And so Jesus says, hey, before you follow me, you need to do the math. You need to understand, yes, I've come to give you life to the full. Yes, what I'm offering you, it's like a treasure in a field that's so valuable that a man finds it. He sells everything with joy to get it. Yes. Yes, it's like the pearl of great price that a merchant finds and he sells everything to get it. And he doesn't sell with like sadness, he sells with joy because what he's getting, yes. I've come to give you life and life to the full. Yes, I've come to your joy might be full. Yes, but hey, I need to tell you that if you're gonna follow me, it's not always gonna be easy. And along with all this, you need to be willing to pay the price. And so after he told those kind of two illustrations about counting the cost, this is what he said. He said, uh, the last verse there, in the same way, Those of you who do not give up everything you can cannot, again, cannot be my disciples, right? And so so as we're entering, as we're, we're in this season of great kind of cultural shift, right, I think it's such a powerful passage where Jesus comes to each one of us and says, hey, you need to understand, along with this life, along with this joy, along with this peace, along with this new life I've come to give you, that there's going to be a cost. And so you need to expect that. Don't be surprised. If you're on the job and people think you're crazy, if people in your family call you a bigot, if you're seen as a hater for following me, um, if if you lose your job, because you won't submit to living a lie. Um, If you're canceled on social media, he says, um, just remember that if the world hates you, it hated me first, and you are on the right team. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we, we come, and I... There's certain weeks, Lord, that are easier to teach than others, uh, maybe easier to receive than others. And this teaching today is challenging. And Lord, as as men and women who for most of us have grown up in this country with all the rights and the privileges and the freedoms, um, we're not really used to this. And so this is a challenge to us. Uh, And I, I pray today that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us grace to recognize this treasure in the field, its amazing value, the pearl of great price, and that, that we would embrace these costs, embrace this pushback with, with a joy because of what you've told us, what it means, that, that we are standing with you, and therein is life, and meaning and purpose, not only this life, but but life forever. And so, Lord, we we pray today as we come and we sing this song about magnifying you. We pray that your spirit would magnify you in our hearts so that like that man who finds a treasure in the field, we would go away and sell everything with joy because of the value of gaining you. We pray this in your name. Amen.